Hi, I'm Jamie, and I am the creator of One World, Your Story, where we bring people together. And right now, we need this more than ever. The murder of George Floyd, the latest of countless Black Americans to be murdered at the hands of police in America, has set off a chain reaction across the United States. People are angry, people are hurt, and rightfully so. We cannot stand by and allow this to continue any longer. It's time to use our voices and bring this conversation out into the open for good. So join us for this episode of The Floyd Files. Thinking we're black all this time, and then I now I've stopped paying attention to it. We're alive, so let's introduce you. Um, yep. So, yeah, here with Sam Abe. Is it is it Abram or Abraham? Abraham. Abraham. Okay. Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> But in this country, I think it's Abraham. It's like the way you say Abraham Lincoln is the same thing. Okay, Abraham. Um, but that's not actually how you pronounce it. My grandfather, his name was Abraham. Um, yeah. and definitely, that's not how you pronounce it. He's Polish. Abraham. Yeah, it's Abraham. Abraham. Okay. Um, and Sam, so we know each other from yoga um and yoga practice and i feel so blessed to have you as my teacher um and to be able to call you that as uh, you've just been such a gift in my life and um really excited to speak with you about racism not that i'm excited to speak to you about racism but i'm excited to speak to you just because uh, i feel like you have this uh just really open, loving, different perspective about humans uh, in general than most people do. Um, so I don't know, I guess just to kick us off, is there anything else that you'd like to say about yourself for an introduction? Um, I think um, there may be a reason as to why my reaction or my attitude comes across because I was not born and raised in this country. So I don't have that scar, what's the other word I'm looking for? Uh, trauma that other African-Americans experience and passed on generation to then. I don't have that in me. So I have to relearn what it means when you come in this country, they tell you, you are a black. Oh, I am, okay. Uh, and then you just have to uh, simulate. And then when you fill out an application, uh, you feel like, okay, I'm black. <laughs> and uh, that's how that went. So there's a good and bad. The good would be then, thank God I don't have the scar or the trauma that other people are experiencing. And the other side is that it gives me a closer look because I get to experience firsthand what it feels like to have that skin color that society determines you fit in this box. Doesn't matter who I am as a person, you fit in this box. And then that leads into where when black men are getting killed and all this is happening, I always, oh, it only gonna happen to the others for years. And then lately from 
you know, with all this news and the stories at the daily event, oh my God, just because my color skin, I could be the next target. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what, uh, if somebody with intentions to kill a black man, I could be the next target. And that kind of stopped me from going, oh, shit. So what that did for me is then I had to, I was forced to readjust myself. Um, my trust to, toward people, it doesn't matter who you are, it's like that. Hi, how are you? Welcome. It kind of, uh, I begin to hesitate a little bit. Uh, I do walk in the morning. And unless you say hi to me first, I don't say hi anymore. I was like, and I try not to make eye contact. And it's very weird and I don't like it. But this is my way of protecting myself. Yeah. So it's very weird. I know. It's very weird. I mean, you said so many things that I am, first of all, just want to send you a lot of love because that's a really shitty thing to wake up and realize one day. I can't even imagine. Um, And by the way, in a country that I don't want to assume why you came here, but not your home country. Um, why did you come to the U.S., by the way? Was it by choice? Um, yes and no. Um, I'm from Eritrea. I don't know how many notes. It's in East Africa. It's a very small country. It has a history of being occupied by so many countries. Way in the 18th centuries, it was uh, Turkey. And then... Uh, Egypt for a short period of time, and then the Italians from 1886 until 1946 during the colony. And then the British came in in 46, they kicked them out. And the British were for 10 years in Eritrea. And by then, uh, when the British were leaving, they didn't know what to do with the country. So King Haile Selassie from Ethiopia persuaded Eritrea is 50-50, 50 Muslims, 50 Christians. We got along so well until the British came in. When the British came in, the first thing they did is they created conflict with those two people because, you know, divide and conquer kind of stuff. And all of a sudden there's a tension. So that worked. Oh, because they thought, oh, if they could get one side against the other, but like with them. They would yeah. have, that's messed up, but makes sense. Don't do that. The Italians don't do that, but the British did. Um, and then when they leaving, it, King Haile Selassie persuaded the Christian side of the Eritreans, oh, we have the same religion, we have the same name, we look alike, we have so many similarities. You guys, in order to be safe from those Muslims, you better join us. He persuaded few people. Guess what he did? When they signed that paper to make Eritrea under federation, supervised, UN didn't say make Eritrea part of Ethiopia. They left it. Federation means a big country will supervise that little one until they can be on their own. 
So he persuaded those um, Christians. He made Eritrea forcibly part of Ethiopia. Guess what he did? A few months later, he killed all those people who signed the paper because what they find out later on is this is not what we signed on. Whoa, they start revolting and he got them killed. So that's what that whole, and then the independent revolution in 1961 started. We fought Ethiopia for 30 years and we got our country in 1991, 92. Wow, that's not that long ago. Yeah, so I You were gone by then. Yes, I left in 76. By yourself? Kind of. Back then, the Ethiopian government announced everyone who's 18 and older has to join the Ethiopian government military to fight against my people. And that's when I escaped the country. I went to Sudan. Oh, wow. Um, my father paid somebody some money. He gave them the deposit. Once I signed a paper when I crossed the border, I walked at night. We slept hiding in the very you know, insecure area during the day so we won't be recognized because they can tell city kids you can recognize them. So they would hide us during the day. And then at night we walk. This is Sahara Desert through a dry river for nine days. Holy <laughs> shit, Sam. And how old were you at the time? You were like 17? Close to 19, probably. How many 19. people were there walking? Well, three of us. We were, uh, we went to high school together and we played basketball together. We were on a team. At that time, escaping was the second option. Either you join the military or escape. And what was the risk if you got caught? You were going to get killed? Oh yeah, you get killed, you can get arrested. There's all kinds of stuff. That's why the guy who guided us knew what he was doing. He's a merchant. That's what he does for a living. So he dressed as, I'll show you the picture one day. He dressed as like the locals so that we won't be recognized so that um, we could escape. If you give me a second, I'm going to show you a picture. I'll be right back. Okay, okay, okay. Um, while Sam's going, who is watching live? I can't see. You can see that somebody's watching, but I can't see who. Will you type in the comments? who you are and I, do you have any questions that you might want me to ask Sam? Um, please do it. Okay, there it is. So this is how I looked. You see Sam, what do you see Sam? Yeah. Put it closer, I can't see your faces too well. There it is. Which? I'm the, this one. Uh, the one on the right with a stripe? No, you're in the middle? Yeah, that one. That's one. That's what I thought. Yes. And then he dressed us like the local so we won't be recognized. This is how. Oh, wow. There it is. This Super interesting. Me. Yes, that's me. 
Okay. Thank you for showing me that. That's amazing. Okay. So, wow. What I mean, an intense thing to go through. It's the only thing that I can compare that to in any kind of way is my grandfather at 12 years old, having to walk at night and be on like cattle cars escaping Poland um, during the Holocaust. Um, so, okay. But, and the, it, so you come to the U.S. at some point after Sudan. I stayed in Khartoum for a year, one year and nine months. We always thought that all oh, things gonna change, it's gonna change, it didn't change. And then I immigrated to Germany. Oh. Why you see all this big Afro, it's all in Germany. Okay. I arrived in Germany in 1979. And then uh, I didn't like Germany very much because um, they haven't seen that many blocks, so it was kind of weird. They don't accept you. They always treat you like other, and I didn't like that part. It was kind of what is this? Huh. You know, I'm, I'm uh, the only reason I left is not because that's funny in any kind of way, but oh, the irony of what you're yeah. experiencing right now, like Jesus. Oh yeah, it's a full circle. And then at that time, I don't know if you had time. That the, during the communists, what happened is the United States said all these people from communist country who are immigrating, they were taking them in, especially from Europe. And Ethiopia became communist country. The communists came in, took over Ethiopia, they kicked out America. I mean, oh, by the way, there used to be American base in Eritrea. Well, that's the other thing, we skipped that. My high school, it was on the third floor, if I look through the window, I can see the American base. So they were playing football with their hands. It didn't make any sense to us. Why did they play with their hands and they call, call it the, uh, football? What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't make any sense. That was girls' sport. Girls played with their hands and boys, we played soccer, which what we call a football. Of course, everywhere else in the world calls football soccer football. <laughs> this football when they are playing with their hands you know it's a gated base you know you can only see it from the third floor we just used to oh those are the americans they're all young and they play football with their hands what are they doing oh they playing football that's not a football <laughs> anyway we could go on and on and uh what was i you were uh, talking about the communists taking over yeah they took over and then um you were in Germany. Jackson, yeah, Jesse Jackson. I was in Germany. Jesse Jackson said, he made a noise. Wait a minute. You are taking all these Europeans, no question asked, all this communist country, but there are Africans who are escaping communists. How come you don't take them in? How come? How come? And then the door opened. People in Sudan who were for years, Eritreans, immigrated communists and so forth. So I was in Germany. Oh, there's a, another opportunity for me. I went to Rome. I went to the American embassy. I want to go to the United States. I'm from Eritrea. I had all the documents. He said, yes. I came May 6th of 82 September. That was it? You went to the embassy? I said, I want to do this because you knew that they were doing that because of the comment. Wow. So Jesse Jackson. Opened the floodgates. You're doing this, how come you're not offering the same thing to these people? Uh, and then they said, okay, 
and then the rest is history. Because this country is racist. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, speaking of which, okay. I came here back then. Um, and how did you feel when you first came here compared yeah. to how it felt in Germany? Uh, I knew a little bit of what happened. When I was in Germany, I was surrounded by American base again. There were three base because Stuttgart is there's a huge American base there. Huge. I would, on my left was the hospital. On my right were the Kelly barracks. Right in front of me were the Robinson barracks. So I used to go to the nightclub. You know, they have military nightclub. It's just an open door. We dance all night. And, you know, I feel a little bit comfortable because there's a lot of blacks there. And they say hi to you. And it's like with my Afro, they thought this kid must be some general son or grandson or embassy they would if i opened my mouth not speaking american they would know who i am but without speaking the language they always assume that i must be somebody's important son whatever yeah so that's how that's how and then when i decide to come to this country i would ask the military people well where should i go should i go to new york oh no 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 Washington DC, oh no, 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 California, no. And then I would say, Colorado, yes. Why? Because everyone in Colorado is new, so you will be fine. When I came to Denver, oh, house, interesting. I said, what is this? A village or a city? In order to see people, you have to go to mall. Everybody drives. I'm used to seeing people everywhere. You know how Europe is, people everywhere, so it's back home. Here, you have to go to downtown or mall to see people. Everybody's driving. I didn't like it. But now, I can't live anywhere but Denver. <laughs> Colorado. I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I always come back here. Yeah, 37 years. Yeah. Um, okay. So you come to Colorado because everyone's new. That's so interesting. And also, like, like yeah, uh, because what? They said you will like it because everybody is new, which is right. Most people were from outside. They were rare that you see natives because this was an open place. I remember Colorado Boulevard. It was wide open. You can just zoom five, six minutes. Now you need an hour. I mean, I traffic was never like this until like seven years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, people didn't know how cool Denver was or Colorado for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of upset that they do now but i get it at the same time um man i'm like where should we go into first because i actually recently asked a friend that i know because <clears throat> when we were seniors in high in college i helped her study for her naturalization test yeah which pff, there's a that's a whole other thing it's like ask any american someone that was born here they're never going to be able to answer those questions nine out of oh, ten I studied those. <laughs> okay, so when did you become a citizen? I was going to ask you that. In 87. In 87, so like about yeah, seven, eight years five later. Years. Oh, five years. Five years. Yeah, five years. Okay. I raised my hand. However, the judge who sweared us to become a citizen, his son wrote the movie, The War of the Roses. Remember that movie, The War of the Roses? Michael Douglas and Danny DeVito. And Catherine Turner. It's a divorce movie. 
they just fight like crazy. They still are so good. So her son wrote it. During the swearing, she said to her, my son wrote this movie, go see it. The wow. judge. When I went to see it, uh, I, went, I thought the War of the Roses, people are gonna fight about Rose, the flower. That's what I'm thinking, is actually the last name of the couple was Rose, and they were going through divorce. Is this the craziest, do if you ever get a chance, get it on cable, the War of the Roses. It is hysterically funny. Great. The War of the Roses, yeah. Okay, the War of the Roses. I love it. Okay, so you became. So, so you are. What'd you say? I bet, I bet Joan knows about it. I bet you she does too. I bet yeah. you she does. I'm really bad when it comes to movies and TV. This is an 87, yeah. The War of the Roses. Okay. Um, so you truly are an African American. Now, yes. And I, I say that because I think that there's a. We want to say African-American for every person that has black skin in this country. And there's plenty of people where literally it just does not apply at all. I am um, actually African-American, if you think about it. Truly. That's what I was saying. Like, okay, wow. But I think that there's like the whole, when you talk about African-Americans and black being black in America, yeah. I think that we forget about immigrants black immigrants oh my god huge number huge so let's hear a little bit how does that feel what is it like to be really an african-american because you are a citizen at this point and you are an immigrant like your history and story is so different than what we talk about as literally so how that works it's okay to say black it's okay to say african-american but not all blacks are African-Americans. See, there's a difference. You can, it's okay to say both, but not all Blacks are African-American. But that's how this country categorizes it. You just, what are you going to do? I think for me, it was, um, here's, that's, that's one of the reasons I left Germany. I, I was never felt accepted. I always stood out. And then when I went to the American base, when I see those military people, most of them were black, they say, hi, what's happening? They say hi to you. And I was like, wow, I gotta go to America. You know, if I'm gonna be immigrant, if I don't know when I'm gonna go back home, I might as well just go to America. And then at the same time, I learned the education system is completely different. In Germany, it's free, but it's hard to get into. In the United States, if you pay for it, Pretty much, if you do well, you can go to any school you want to, which I did. Uh, it took me forever, but I went to, I got my GED, and then I went to CCD, I got my marketing degree, and then I went to four years political science, and then I got my master's degree. All that together took me 17 years, but I Good did it. Good for you. That's amazing. Uh, amen. So how old were you when you got the master's? I was uh, 49, probably. No, 48. How inspiring. I was 46 when I got my undergrad. Two and a half, yeah. Okay, that's, it makes it then 49. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm going to be 65 in a few months. What? Yes. <laughs> 
I would yoga never, works. ever guess yoga that. Works. Yoga works. My oldest son is 37. Wow. Yes. Good for you, Sam. Good for you. That's so impressive. <laughs> yoga works. And I mean, think about, this has not, not to do with the topic that we're talking about, but I just, in case anybody watches this and needs a little inspiration in their life, it's never too late to start something new. He said that you didn't start yoga till you were 45 then, or 44. 46. And, and think about how much yeah. it's impacted your life. Yeah, 45 something. I think it actually the, the way I started yoga was it was a chiropractor. I had a lower back issue. It, it got really bad. And he took an x-ray and then after it actually showed it to me, how in the hell did you live all these years with this? I don't know, I just lived with this. Well, the only way we can correct this is surgery. And I said, okay. And I went back to my, I was at the Colorado National Bank then. I tell my coworkers, she go, no, 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 no. Surgery doesn't work. You have to correct it every four or five years. It's not permanent. Try something else. I am in pain. I don't care because I didn't know that. So I went to chiropractor. I thought, you know what? I don't want to do surgery. Do have other options? Or you can go see a physical therapist. It was very expensive. And I went, this is too expensive. What else can I do? He said it like in passing where you can try yoga. This is a 99, right? What the hell is yoga? And, and then I was, uh, and then he told me at that, but don't run. Don't do any activity. Just do station bicycle only from now on. Okay. And then I joined a club. It used to be called Holiday Health Club. It became Bali. And then I was 24. And one day they announced, oh, we're going to have yoga. Come join us. Oh, I hated it. I said, what the hell are they doing? What is this? And I tried a couple of times. And then I came back a couple months later. We were in Savasana. I felt so good. <gasps> what is this? I came back, I did it for Fridays, I added Wednesdays, I added Monday, and I start doing it every day. I did the Bikram. The whole time it took five years, I fixed my low back. Boom. It's well documented. Wow. That's so this, cool. To this. That's and so I, cool. I said, I got to share this with others. And I love I it. And you do in the best way. Um, okay, I wanna, you know what? Let's talk more, a little bit more about yoga. I mean, you are a black man teaching yeah. yoga. Yeah. And there's so many exercises, you know, to, to, to talk about unconscious bias. And one of the scenarios is close your eyes and picture a yoga studio. Who are the students, who's the teacher? Well, I mean, I know. I know what you're talking about. It's, it's uh, almost never going to be you, by the way, when yeah. people do that exercise. So how has that experience been? And before we get into how it is right now, right. how was it like becoming a yoga teacher, especially in Denver, Colorado, and yeah. teaching yoga as an African-American man? Very interesting. The first yoga class I took was a gentleman who was a white gentleman. He was in his late 70s. He could barely walk, but he taught the class. Everybody loved it and it went on. And then it was a female young lady. And then after her, it was Tyrone. Do you know Tyrone? He's an African-American guy, very young man. 
he was the teacher. He Wait, in what I, year was this? This is um, 2001 on 2002, 2003, okay. in that area. 2000, yeah, 2001. And then I was told about the height yoga, and I joined, you were right, it was like 100%. I didn't care. I'm here for yoga. I get along with everybody. Everybody loved me. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't see myself like I stood out or I'm, I never saw myself as um, with my skin color. I only saw with my character and who I am as a person. Wait, how it should was, be, to be honest. Yeah, that's how it should be. And then Patrick was teaching there and then he opened up his own studio in 2003 and I went with him at Cherry Creek and the rest is history. And then when I was ready to teach, you know what, I'm ready to teach now and the rest is history. But you know, I really didn't think of that for a long, long time until people say the thing that you just said to me. How do you feel to be the only one? And it's like, oh, I have to pause and think, oh, oh yeah, but that's not how I operate. So when was I the first know. time someone said that to you? Do you remember? Oh yeah. Oh, even other thing that one person told me, you, you are a token. They use you to advertise diversity. I said, I don't care what they do. That's not my business, but that's not how I feel. I'm there to heal myself. In the process, I develop relationship, friendship. I start doing yoga retreats, traveling. One time, I came from some yoga retreat. I didn't know. I was in the office. I shared a picture. So she's an African-American lady. She goes, Sam, do you have black friends? And I said, you know, I'm always ready for joke, right? And I said, yes. I, I, I kind of sensed where she was heading. Oh no, because everybody in the picture is white except me, right? And I didn't even think about that. I said, just people. I said, yes, like who? I said to her, you. She goes, not me. Oh my God, Linda, I thought you were black all this time. You're not black? I'm shocked. She goes, she hollered to somebody else. Said that her name was, I didn't want to name it. Would you come and get this fool out of my face before I punch him? She didn't like my response. She was in a jokingly way, you know? She just, she, what she meant is other people beside me, like outside of work. But I turned into a joke. You, not me. Oh, you're not black? Oh my God. I thought you were black all this time. And then I, now I've stopped paying attention to it. I stopped so, showing the pictures anymore. I didn't choose these people. They were just, we all have something in common because it's yoga. I love traveling. And, and then I start paying attention to it. Instead of be the me, the organic person, see people as they are, I start see, seeing. I don't always do that, but sometimes I see it. I become more aware of it. Sometimes I get people who are, oh, well, how do you do with all this? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I just do it because I love it. I'm comfortable. I'm welcome. So... And then I start teaching. I get mixed people. I don't care who's in the room. I'm going to give you 110%. And that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, it's, it's basically what I'm hearing you say is to you, it's never been a problem. It's never impacted you. You never thought about it until 
Somebody else brought it to you. Exactly. And then that's it. I, well, let's go back. My son was born and raised. He has the same attitude as any African-American black man. He has his own grievances. Yes, he doesn't have the scar, the trauma that didn't get passed on for me, but he still has the same resentment, anger, and fear, and concern. When him and I are talking, I hope he's listening, uh, I feel it just like it's outside of how I raised him. Because as a parent, I thought he's going to turn out to be just like me. He's going to embrace everybody. He's going to be happy. He's going to get his education. He's going to be successful, blah, 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 blah. But that's not how it is. So now my understanding of him is different. The way I listen when he talks is different. I'm not that dismissive or, oh, you're just making this up. It does. You, you, you can't use the N-word. That's for my first one. Make sure that I never, never hear you about that one. Now I can see that, oh, I think it's okay if you say it because you are one. You were born and raised here because the society is telling you who you are, which is unfortunately, that's what it is. So I took him to Eritrea when he was 10. He loved it. The other thing he loved it was you can go anywhere, anytime you want to, as long as you're here, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I don't care where you are. Versus, you know, we have to know all the time where your kids are. He loved that part. As long as you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I don't care where you are. He loved and You can't do that here. You can't do that here. And, you know, that's how it is. He was amazed. He felt at home too, but we have to come back here, back to reality. And he has his own anger. He's an angry black man now. <laughs> I'm sorry, honest. but that's how it is. So what I'm saying is that I understand it. I can only relate to it to some extent, not fully, because my background is totally different. I didn't have that baggage with me. I How have many... to really re learn that. Yeah, you have to learn the history of slavery and where it comes Whoa. from and all of that, just like, if, yeah. uh, I guess, white people right now. The exactly. difference is, you're not being treated like a white person. You're being treated like a black person, but you have to learn why you're being treated that way. I mean, that is so fucking weird. It um, is weird. Yeah. But it's, it's, that's how it is. I think I, as a person, uh, it's a survival thing. You know, without losing yourself in the process, who you are, uh, be true to yourself. Um, and when somebody says anything about blocks, I become defensive. What are you talking about? Where did you get this information? Because some people assume that I am not somehow. You know what I mean? I get that a lot. I don't want to name names. Actually, someone so close to me knew me for years. I have never thought you were like the black person. I just always saw Sam, but that's how I am. But I'm also black. I have the same fears the same um, concern. I can't go anywhere anytime I want to. I have to be very careful. Uh, I have to be mindful. When I see police officer, I have to change street or don't make eye contact or just do something else. Is it, God, I mean, that's so, cause on the one hand I'm like, kind of nice that people just see you as Sam. 
But on the other hand, it's like, but wait, you're missing this whole part of my experience as a being by saying and doing that. And also though, missing your entire experience and being as actually an immigrant. Yes, that too. Like there's all of these layers to it. All these layers, yeah. Do you I, ever feel... I love America. I love America. Uh, I finished my education here. All the stuff that inspired me, motivated me to leave German, come to the United States, it was true. The opportunity, it was amazing. I went to school. My work paid my tuition all the way to graduate school. I probably, my balance was less than a thousand when I graduated because everything was paid for by my, what I worked for as part of your benefits. When I was told that, you know, part of your benefits, we pay tuition. Oh, that's part of my money. So I'm going to go to school then to, to, to get that money. So it worked. Everything came true. I graduated. I have a fantastic job. And then retired. I'm a retiree now. <laughs> That's the other thing. Two years ago. It's amazing. Yeah. So every, you came here, everything was true. Was there, things, was, was there things that also weren't true or things that you didn't? The only thing, the only thing that was not true, United States is presented in a different way than here. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> for example, the 2000 election, I don't know how old you were, you know, when George W. Bush was elected. I was 12. That was democracy. That was a huge wake up for me. Oh my God, this is how you elect you? No, this is not democracy. That really changed. That's when I became politician. So, Still, though, to this day, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, this still, this is a land of opportunity. If you want to work hard, you stay disciplined, you can get what you wanted to get. You well, there actually, recently, it has been proven that you have more opportunity actually in England and the UK. It is easier to get from poor to rich than in the U.S. Yeah. I'm right not now, as of 2020. Reach anything, but everything I wanted to do, I did. I went to school, whatever school I want to. I got promoted. I work in different places. It was yeah, it is totally possible. I agree. Yeah. If you yeah. have the motivation, you work hard, it's yes. possible. But it's certainly not set up right now to make it easy. <laughs> uh, this is what it comes to the, to the flip side, people with the scar and trauma, it's not the same thing. Absolutely not. With systemic racism, still alive. I did mean, I because our systems it? are alive, the same systems. Yeah. Did I face it? I probably did, but I didn't know. If something huh. doesn't go my way, I never thought it was because I am this. Is it because I didn't do the things I'm supposed to do? My approach was wrong. I didn't do my homework. How can I do my homework, do the research necessary so I can get this? It always kind of worked. It took a little bit longer. It did, like yoga. To teach all these white people, I never saw it as a 
this is the wrong place for me to be, probably I shouldn't be doing this. None of it ever occurred to me. I have what it takes, I have the skills, I have the experience, I'm gonna teach you. And that's how it goes. I never said, too many white people here, so this is not my place. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. I knock the door, hello. <laughs> no, and then it comes more from all the white people being like, how do you do it? Like, are you okay? And that's weird. Well, you just, you just, they're using it as a token. And I had to look up that word as a token. And then I said, uh, maybe that's true, but I don't see it that way. I don't feel that way. I also see that a lot of white people struggle to become a yoga teacher. They get denied to become a teacher. The door is not open to them. You have to try really hard to get to be accepted in some studios. Mm. I always see it as, well, maybe you don't have what it takes. Partly it's because you're afraid. Don't be afraid. Just do it. Absolutely. And um, that's so you said though, like for a long time, you didn't fear the police. You could walk on the street. Exactly. You, you were okay. That changed. When did that, what, sorry, you could go anywhere. No hesitation. thought about it. When did that change? Uh, I think it changed it after 2000, I would say. That's where the shooting was getting out of control. You hear that here and there. And as you know, the media was kind of becoming more present than it used to be. You get to hear the news instantly. Something happened in Washington, D.C. affects you. The shootings, this and this. I said, like, oh, oh my God, where do I fit in? Well, I have a son, so what do I say to him? Uh, how do I prepare him and all this stuff? How do I need to be careful? To me, it was just like, oh my God. And I would cut a, a newspaper article. I would make it read this. And then he would read it. What does it say? What's your understanding? And he would tell me what he read. That's the only way I can educate him what's happening around the world. But it's still, despite all this, you can still make it. You can still march forward. You can still be you. Yes, things gonna get a little challenging. The reality is there. It's the same thing. If it's raining, all I need is an umbrella to continue to go forward, right? If I don't want to get wet, get an umbrella. It's the same thing. If I don't want to get, you know, don't be a gang member. Oh, don't join this. Don't stay up too late. Don't go to the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's so, your, your perspective and experience on this is so interesting, Sam. And I didn't even, I mean, I thought about it, but not to this extent where like, you are so in it, literally because you have to be, because you can't hide the fact that you have black skin. Yeah. Yet you're so detached from it. I was, but now. Not anymore. Yeah. Like I'm, you have I'm the fears afraid. now. You're yeah. afraid, but you, even still saying like this, when you said, I'm going to get in trouble, like this is still a land of opportunity. There is still a level of you that is kind of removed from it in a way. Um, so it's just such an interesting perspective. I mean, 
Yeah. Like now it's different. It started in 2000. You're talking to your son about it. Is it different in 2020 than it was in 2019? It just gets worse and worse and worse. So and now I'm at the point of my life. Uh, I can't say 100%, but I'm getting there to really feel what everybody else is feeling in terms of black person. I'm there now. It took me, because society keep reminding me, no, no, no. So, well, that's that. That is why oftentimes racism it, it can be related to or synonymous with abuse, because it is yeah. like just just like over and over, and and then one day you're like, wow, I've been dealing with this for twenty years. Like, fuck you, I can't anymore. Another example. <laughs> Sometimes I've seen this many times. If I'm in a department store shopping. If I'm dressed well with my office clothes, I don't get harassed that much. If I'm my casual clothes, sometimes they follow me. And sometimes they ask me if I need help. And I can tell exactly what's going on. Uh, is there anything I can find, help you? And it's like, I know exactly what's going on because they didn't ask the other person with the defense. And I said, mm, I know. no, I'm okay. I'll let you know if I needed something. Polite. But I can tell. I know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes they don't even uh, bother. It's like that's okay. You know, it's it's it's. I think like what you said at the beginning of um, our talk is that the only way we can get somewhere is that we all have to tell our story, but honestly, directly without being rude, we still need to be kind. We need to still need to be understanding and understanding meaning that what we said earlier, some white people are, they finally waking up to the fact that this part of United States, this part of this great country that you tell the rest of the world has a very shitty history it has ugly, ugly side to it that needs attention, that needs to be fixed. This systemic racism is worse than we thought. We ignored it for years. We looked the other way. We always thought it's only happening to this group. If they only uh, act this way and do that way, this could be prevented. And I see me, a good person, you know, follow all the rules, but I can be the next victim because of my color of skin. So that tells me, don't be naive. Be who you are. Be honest. Love the people that you love unconditionally. Let them love you unconditionally because that's what we need at the end of the day. But don't be um, complicit about it. Speak. I, I do it in my social media when I can, uh, in a kind way. Yeah, but I think, okay, the understanding is when white people are now for the first time start talking this uncomfortable conversation, I need to, to be understanding. I also need to listen. Let them go through their experience. Because I went through that myself from what I was, for who I was, 
and I find myself, oh, I guess I am this then. So I need to be careful so I don't become the next target. So I don't get killed in the process. This is survival. So that's what I meant. We still need to talk. We need to listen. We still understand. We can give a space for people who wants to do it. If we are dismissive and rude and it's not going to work. It's only going to make things worse. Yeah, but I got to call out. I mean, what you just said was like mind-blowing because you explained the white American kind of perspective, right? right? Everything's okay. It's not that bad. If you just act like you're supposed to, you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. That was your attitude forever too. Yeah, for both. An African yeah. living here. Everything's yeah. okay. I feel fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm cool. Yeah. And then something switched because by the way, it didn't matter if you were doing all of that stuff. Yeah. It didn't matter that you were getting an education. It didn't matter that you were going to yoga. It didn't matter that you were smiling and friendly and high and polite. The only thing that mattered is that you have black skin. Exactly. And at some point that clicked for you and then you realized how fucked up it is here and that, wait a second, I actually don't have all of the freedoms that I'm supposed to have as an American citizen. Literally, you are an American citizen. You don't have freedom of speech. I realized that yesterday when I was talking to somebody else, my friend Johnny, who was like, I can't say that. And I was like, whoa, you literally do not have freedom of speech. Because you know it's going to, like, anybody could interpret. I mean, and that, and that is not okay. I think uh, the other thing I want to mention is that if I'm going to speak for African-Americans, something I realized recently, I don't think they want revenge. You did this to us for the last 400 years. We're going to do this to you. All they're asking is that equality. That's all they're asking. As a human yes. being, as a human being, when somebody's does something to you, you want to do the same thing to them. An eye is for an eye. Not, is that not the yeah, same? Not what they do. They, they All they wanted is equality. I said, oh my God, <laughs> that's all. I don't want to kill you. Whether you like it or not, actually, I love you. I need you to be around. I want you to be with me. But please, don't close the door. Open the door. Healthcare, education, where you live, where you stay. I mean, all that kind of stuff. It's just, I think eventually it may take a while, but I think it's going to happen because it has to. Now for the first time, the white Americans are waking up. They are revisiting the history, the history that was denied to them while they were in the school. They're relearning it now for the first time i mean you hear literally this? we need to change this this uh, military base with name after this general who was doing this start with columbus what he did here we celebrate him year after year after year now we're learning the dark history how awful it was to certain segment of this country oh my god what are you doing so uh it's a very uncomfortable but i think I'm not saying that 
we need to allow people to have their space to grieve, to talk, uh, just talk, learn, and listen. That's all there is to it. I learned, <laughs> you can learn it too. <laughs> it's, the, it's hopefully that we'll get somewhere where live, let live. What's that phrase? I love that. Live, live and let, let live. Exactly. That's all we all wanted. I want to send my kids to whatever school I want to. I want to live whatever neighborhood I want to live to. Uh, if I have what it takes, I should be able to do this job. I should be able to achieve this. But that's not how it works. There's so many barriers that prevents you from getting there. Maybe somehow I was so naive, so ignorant to some level, it it just it didn't it did become an issue for me. I just keep knocking and present myself and assimilate and learn the language, all that kind of stuff, and I got my way. But it's just I, like I such a gonna, sorry. Yeah. I, I think that's that's my story. I can't speak <laughs> for everybody, but that's my story. <laughs> yeah, and your story is a fascinating one. I mean, I think one of the most important things about what you just said is maybe, yeah, I mean, it is the most important thing that I think that people that are like upset about the protests and all this movement need to fucking get. Nobody is looking for revenge. Nobody wants a fight. Nobody wants anything more than literally to be seen as their whole perfect live, self. Live, yes. Live and let live. See me as a live human. <laughs> deserve everything any human being gets. Treated like one. And that's you not asking for a lot. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, it just that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. I think at some point, at one level, I mean that Amendment 13. Did you watch that 13, that documentary? Yes, and I'm also in the middle of watching the Khalif Browder docu-series. Was, even though slavery was over, but it was renamed, repackaged differently. I mean, literally, there's a whole like, letter that came out that was like, well, we're, we can't actually say that we're going to go and arrest Black people. So we're yeah. just going to say that they're criminals because they're using heroin, right? And, and crack. Exactly. But yeah. white people can blow cocaine all day long and it's classy. Like, not really that it's classy, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's just, it's so wrong and not okay. And I mean, by the way, you use the word complicity, which I think, uh, especially today, is an interesting, hi, Kristen. Um, if you have any questions for me or Sam, please ask them live. Um, it, the guy literally is out on bail right now, one of the cops that was a part of it somehow crowdfunded $750,000. Okay, that's almost a million dollars. And is out on bail for being charged with murder. Yet, Khalif Browder, 16-year-old, who allegedly stole a backpack, which he didn't, okay, now he's been proven innocent, was in Rikers for three years, two, more than two of that in solitary confinement, and literally was not allowed or offered bail because he violated his probation because he was in fucking jail. Exactly. Yet so this cop is able to be out on the street right now. Yeah. The system allows it. And that's what that's what's happening. It's not it okay. This is not new, but to some people is it, it's 
it's just going to go on. I think the change will happen, but it's going to be uh, hard. Well, I think you'll love. I think you'll love this, knowing who you are. I think as long as it's a system, it will go on because a system is literally designed to go around and around and around and around and around. So someone said to me, my friend Connor said to me, why don't we call it a justice gateway? Yeah. Not a justice system. Because you know, words create reality. It does. Why don't we call them peace officers instead of police officers? I don't say that anymore, by the way. What do you say? I don't say it. You just don't say? Yeah, I just don't say it. Because... They, they, are, they are there to protect and serve. And when I say they, yes, there are some good ones within, but you, n- you must not be a good one if you're not weeding out the bad one. That's you're complicity. the complicity. Your complicity. So to me, it's like if I am here on the street, I see Jamie walking on the street. It doesn't matter who that person is doing something to her. If I don't speak up, if I don't go help whatever, or she's just a white lady, that would be terrible. I should come to your defense. It doesn't matter who you are. You're a human being. And it yep. should be the other way around. So for them not weeding out those bad ones, okay, I can't really speak how the system is designed. Some officers are beginning to speak up now, how difficult it was for somebody to speak up to do something or to go against the system is in place. Maybe not, now they see an opening. Whoa, this is not good. So hopefully that it leads into some kind of reform. I'm not saying that defund whatever seems to me. We need police officers, by the way, because somebody has to well, no, I don't think we need police officers. I don't. I think we need some sort of safety protection task force. But we do not need police officers. We do not need to be policed. No, no. That's we just need someone to protect us when we need protecting. Exactly. Somebody in a position, like if I guess. Peace sick, officer. Yeah, I go see a doctor. I have an issue with my dental. I go to dentist. If I have something that I, I go to eye doctor. Know what? No one's going around policing what we're eating to make sure that we're not need, getting unhealthy. If I need yoga, I go to yoga teacher. So if I need some services related to what the serving and uh, whatever the title is, it should be that way. It shouldn't be like you in a war zone. They Agreed. come with all their weapons. They're ready to just the fact their presence makes me nervous. When people are nervous, they make mistakes. Yeah, I get that's nervous. true. That's Even true. If I don't do anything, if when I'm driving, as a police officer is on my side or behind me, I get nervous for no reason. Oh my God, what is this police officer stop me now for no reason? Am I driving correctly? Is my light on? Am I, my, it's just all this crazy stuff flies to my head. What if this police officer decides to stop me because my signal is not working? I think it was working yesterday. I'm not sure if my signal is working or not. Sometimes I stop making sure that it's working. I don't want to give any hint or any indication, any opportunity, someone to harass me. Safety, safety, because I used not to be that way, but now it's that way. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. I really hope, I really hope, and I'm positive, I'm hopeful 
that a change is coming um, because I don't want you to have to go through that anymore. Um, no one. I don't want any, yeah, anyone. So, I mean, I am yeah. so thankful yeah. for your time and I'm for to learn hopeful. more about you. Yes, I'm still hopeful. I still think that um, we all have a role and responsibility to play within all this crazy stuff. No longer afraid to speak up. No longer, this is not my problem. And it doesn't matter you're Chinese or whatever. If I see you, you need help, I'm going to be there. If you need you are a, a citizen voice, of this country. It's your problem. You're a human being. We all, one way or the other, I'm going to need help. I want you to be there for me. And when you need something, I'll be there for you. We all are human. Because Amen. sometimes we're not around our friends. We're not around our family members. We could be in anywhere. But as a human being, we need to support each other. That's how it works. I'm still hopeful. Um, but I'm also aware of what's going on. I don't like it. So, yeah, yeah I can really hear that in you. Um, and you have the right to feel that way. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else that you want to say? I mean, this really is about giving you an opportunity to use your voice and say what, what you want to say, what you need to say. So is there anything else that you want to say I for anyone that might be listening for you on the record about your experience? Yeah. In this you country. Know, you can talk to me anytime. Whatever I said today, if I didn't make any sense or it made you think, oh, I never thought of this about Sam or even somebody who doesn't know who Sam, they're free to call me anytime. I'm happy to talk to anybody anytime. I don't care. Let's talk. Let's be friends. Let's get to know each other. Like I met your friend today. Wasn't that fantastic? Yes, Harry. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm going to encourage him to become a yoga teacher. I'm going to tell him the reason why you're not teaching because you are afraid. What are you afraid of? I hope do you it. do. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do tell him that. Ooh, fall back. Um, so, yeah, like I said, um, anybody can call me anytime. Call me out. Uh, let's talk. Or I'd be happy to elaborate something that didn't sound right because of... Um, English is my second language. I'm not apologizing, by the way. Uh, sometimes things come out the wrong way. And hello. <laughs> so let's talk. Yeah. Thank you for what a beautiful invitation for everyone. I hope somebody takes you up on it. I know with everything in my being that you mean that. So I hope someone you takes you up. Yeah. You can do this again. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording if you're okay with it. I know. We went over time. <laughs> and end the live. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One World Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed hearing this story and you wish to hear more, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. And of course, follow us on Instagram at One World Your Story. From all of us here at the One World Your Story podcast, we are sending you so much joy and love. Have a wonderful rest of your day.